0: Live
1: from New York City, it's the Gary Knoll Show, and now, your host, Gary Knoll.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll, nice to have you with us today. A lot to share. Could a vegan low-carbohydrate diet reduce the risk of heart disease? Three precedent-setting studies that show you why genetically modified organisms are toxic. Eight foods that soon may cost more due to California's drought. Can narcissist be moved towards empathy? Well, that's a nice hat trick. If you can do it, we'll see what the study says. Also, lifestyle changes improve biomarkers associated with breast cancer, recurrence, and death from Yale University Cancer Center. And a lot more. We always go heavy on the on the health and nutrition information. Then... We're going to do a lot of commentaries, no guests today. Commentaries such as "Wim Astor from Tom Dispatch, Uncle Sam doesn't want you, he already has you, the militarized realities of Fortress America, very important commentary, I must listen to. We've moved on from the Iraq War, but Iraqis don't have that choice. Like characters in The Great Gatsby, Britain and the US have arrogantly turned their backs and left the country in ruins. John Parker from The Guardian. Also, Illinois, Illinois illegally seizes bees. And I'll tell you about that. And The Empire of Prisons, how the United States is spreading mass incarceration around the world. Why? From Noam Chomsky, alternate. A surveillance state beyond imagination is being created in one of the freest countries in the world. Across America, police departments are quietly preparing for war. Really? A war against whom? Well, we'll share the details on that as well. And a lot of people who thought that uh, others talking about this were wrong were actually right. Ray McGovern takes a look at the real villains in the Bergdahl tale. And it's not who you might think. And because he's so good at this, I'll share that. And from David Lindorf, the program This Can't Be Happening, the Department of Homeland Security brands This Can't Be Happening, a threat? That's interesting. Since when does a radio program represent a threat? As you can see, a lot. On social issues, we're going to take on One overlooked reason why the middle class is in decline. Time for Congress to probe Bill Gates' educational coup. Half of college graduates are working jobs that don't require a college degree. And at the same time, a separate commentary, university presidents are laughing all the way to the bank, while the people who work for them are on food stamps. You see, we cover a lot of different issues. And I will take as many calls as possible. Our number is 888-874-4888. 888 874 Let's begin. Right now, all over the world, there is a, a grassroots movement to say no to GMOs, genetically modified organisms. Dozens of studies are coming forward showing that we should be concerned And they have no studies showing long-term safety or efficacy. And yet they are insisting that they have absolute total control over our food policy. And they're pretty good because they've been able to get it. Well, it helps when you have a former top lawyer from Monsanto become the head of food safety at the FDA. All of these political appointees are not helping us. But in spite of what seems insurmountable odds... We, the people, are showing them we're boycotting their products. Genetically modified studies reveal that 18 million Americans suffer from gluten and GMO toxicity. From Natural News, quote, What is it about gluten and GMO that have the masses asking questions? What's the latest debate that is constantly engaged on the best health websites in the world? How could it be that 18 million folks just can't figure out their internal rotting food problem, causing inflammation, headaches, irritable bowel syndrome that leads to ulcers, prostate cancer, bladder cancer, and pancreatic, pancreatic cancer, when 90% of the food on the shelves sticks in your gut for days and weeks in a digestive tract, and it contains pesticides? Are you a weed or a bug? Because if you eat conventional food regularly, you may be dying like one in the fields of Monsanto, Bayer, Cargill. How would you like to get a glimpse inside several GMO studies that you won't hear about on TV or read about in newspapers that explain how most conventional food gets processed and fortified? Here we go. 1. Research from Canada has successfully identified toxic GMO pesticides in maternal and fetal blood, including Monsanto's Bt toxin used in corn. The study is published in the journal Reproductive Toxicology. The study uses blood samples from pregnant women versus non-pregnant women and points out how susceptible the fetus really is to the adverse effects of foreign chemicals that are not naturally produced. The results provide baseline data for future studies exploring new research on nutrition, toxicology, and reproduction in women. And if you go to Collective-Evolution, you'll see even more resources on this. Number two, pesticides inside gluten infects 18 million Americans. So it isn't just an intolerance to gluten. A new study links GMOs to gluten disorders and comes to you via the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the EPA, released by the one and only Institute for Responsible Technology, who really looks out for human health on this planet. The authors relate GM foods to five conditions that trigger or exacerbate gluten-related disorders, including autoimmune disorders, America's favorite sick care catapult, In fact, imbalanced gut bacteria is where it all begins, and the study delves into intestinal permeability and allergic responses and impaired digestion. Now, irritable uh, intestinal problems is really common, and they associate it with GM foods. And finally, GM corn and rat tumors are linked. Rats and fruit flies and bees. They're all dying from pesticides and insecticides when given to them as food or sprayed on their food or grown in the food, uh, into their food using biotechnology gene mutation manipulation. How strange that animals should die when they eat chemicals. Just a couple of years ago, the Journal of Food and Chemical Toxicology published a research paper called Long-Term Toxicity of Roundup Herbicide and Roundup Tolerant Genetically Modified Maize. If you're not a frequent flyer of natural news, then you probably don't know a thing about it. That's okay, because we do all this research. The conclusion, genetically modified crops, despite the propaganda spread by the biotech industry, is lowering the United States yields and increasing pesticide use. Not good for you. I do a lot of traveling and filming. I have at least four films coming out over the next year and a half. Two major films in the next three months. One's all poverty. And of course, a big part of poverty is food. And a lot of the people who are poor today are in California. I filmed some people who were seemingly living a good life until the real estate market crashed. They didn't get out of it. They went underwater in their mortgage. They were paying for their kids' education, and then they couldn't afford that, and they couldn't get out of the debt, nor could they renegotiate the terms of the debt. The contracts for these student loans are torturous. And one day, as a man told me, an adjunct professor, he said, I'm only making about 12000 a year. I have to go work at a Walmart just to make ends meet. Uh, My kids are now out of school, but I'm saddled with the debt and I lost my home. I have no savings. I never thought this would happen. He lives in California. Here are eight foods that may soon cost more due to California's drought. This is from Elizabeth Elizabeth Retner from Natural Society. Quote, for the first time in 15 years... The entire state of California is suffering a water shortage. Across the state, conditions range from abnormally dry to exceptional drought. According to the U.S. drought monitors, such earth-cracking conditions aren't only affecting those who live and work in the Golden State, they will ultimately affect any of us who depend upon California's vibrant agricultural industry. Timothy Richards is a professor of at the Carey School of Business, Arizona State University, and indicates some fruit and vegetable prices could face steep price increases as the drought has limited harvest. Estimates indicate anywhere from 500,000 to 1 million acres of otherwise producing land will be affected by the conditions, and that 20% of certain crops will simply be lost. Now, as California is the largest producer of some of these crops, you're going to feel it because you're going to pay more. Quote, We can expect to see the biggest percentage jump in prices for avocados and lettuce, 20 and 34%. People are the least price sensitive when it comes to these items, and they're more willing to pay what it takes to get them. So you're going to also have berries, all berries, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries. They're going to go up substantially. You're going to have broccoli, Grapes, lettuces. There's going to be a big jump in the price of lettuces of all kinds. Packaged salad mixes and uh, are going to go up by more than three dollars a bag. Peppers will go up, tomatoes are going to go up. So what is the solution? Because water's not coming back to California. And therefore there'll be a greater effort to desalinization plants, which is a, a solution. It's very expensive. It takes about three to five years to build one. You can, if you're very wealthy, you can dig down to 2,000 feet into the deep aquifers. But you're looking at about $100,000 to do that, minimally. The average person doesn't have that. Some of the vineyards do. Some of the large farms will. And if you're politically connected, you make sure that you get whatever is available. But you're going to see... Here's what I predict. I predict that all across the United States, in Georgia, most of Florida, California, most of Texas, um, lots of areas in Kansas, Colorado, New Mexico, uh, you're going to start seeing, in Arizona, you're going to see the state government working with private corporations take hundreds of thousands of acres per state, A private property, eminent domain, you give dirt-bottom prices. The people will lose the value of their property. They'll be forced off, and they'll build large aquifers. It'll cost billions of dollars to then take that lake that they make from a deep aquifer into a metropolitan area. Generally, the lake will be within an hour to an hour and a half of a major city. The contractors who are politically connected, the lawyer firms connected, They're the ones who are going to make probably 20 to 30% profit off this. So hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars in profits are going to be made on this. So this is going to just take away the rights. Well, in one community in Texas alone, there's probably going to be 10,000 people lose their home. That's just one community. So that's what's going to happen. So what is the solution? It's relatively simple. In your own backyard, you can build your own hydroponic garden. It doesn't matter what heat, rain, cold, because it's not affected. You don't have to worry about pesticides or genetically engineered seed erosion because you're going to be able to grow all of your own fruits and vegetables, microgreens and sprouts, culinary and, um, and medicinal herbs, mushrooms, You can grow it all in a 20 by 40 foot backyard. If you live in a community where you have an abandoned building, get a community uh, group together and then go to the town and say, we'd like to have this lot, this whole area given over to us. You might have a building. There's thousands, tens of thousands of abandoned buildings in the United States that are structurally fine and um, where a factory was once was, and you could use those as well. And that saves you a lot of money. And you could have all forms of community projects in there, aquaculture projects, uh, all forms of non-soil-based agriculture. You have enough for everyone's needs and have a lot left over for the community's needs. That's what I would do. When we look at our politicians and people in the media, we see massive amount of narcissism. We see self-interest. We see self-dealing all the time. I've never seen any of these people change. I haven't seen Mel Gibson change, Donald Trump change. None of the politicians change. I haven't seen celebrities change. I haven't seen athletes change. They're just angry when they're caught doing something or saying something that embarrasses them. But, according to Science Daily, University of Surrey and University of Southampton in the United Kingdom investigated whether or not narcissists can elicit empathy for another person's suffering. Now, it's been well documented that narcissists lack empathy. But why is it that that is the case? And do they have the capacity to change that behavior? New research shows that with an enormous amount of focus, people with narcissistic tendencies can feel empathy for another person's suffering. The research is published in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. So when we think of narcissism, most of us can think of a colleague, a friend, or former significant other than that would fit that description. They seem to be a bit full of themselves, they're self-centered. They don't seem too concerned about the effects they have on other people. I remember working at a radio station, and uh, the program director, his name is Mark Mason, and in my opinion, he is the example of what a program director should be. He was very smart, but he had enormous amount of compassion. I saw when we would, uh, he would be told by the station owner, Ellen Strauss, that he had let someone go. It was a he was tortured by it because he cared about the effect, and we had a conversation once. And he said that's the only part of working there, and for her, that he found difficult was that there was just a whole environment of lacking in empathy. Bob Grant had no empathy. I didn't like Bob Grant. I didn't like him when he was alive. I told him that. I knew what kind of person he was. And uh, Barry Gray I didn't like because these people just lacked empathy. Barry Farber, who was just brought into the uh, Broadcasting Radio Hall of Fame last week, well-deserved. A person of a complete gentleman, always well-mannered and very empathetic. And I've been fortunate enough in my radio career to meet some very empathetic people. But I never saw a narcissist change, not once in my life. So even though is it theoretically possible to get someone who is selfish, to become selfless. Yes, it is, but it's almost never the case. So you have to separate out theoretical from realistic. From our vegan corner today, there is a study by Dr. David Jensen at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto He and colleagues found that a low-carbohydrate vegan diet was effective for weight loss and reduced the risk of heart attack over a 10-year period. But he's talking about refined carbohydrates. And I'm saying just the opposite is true. If you want to really reduce the risk of heart disease, go to a high-complex carbohydrate diet. Beans, pulses, legumes and whole grains. Then you can reduce the low density lipoprotein the bad cholesterol substantially, triglycerides substantially. So, it's good that they did this study, but they didn't rats, and I I work with humans. So I see what happens when you put someone on a high-quality, complex carbohydrate diet and exercise and supplements and de-stress. Could red wine be used to prevent dental cavities? Now, this is from Medical News Today. And they're saying, yes. The research behind the new study, which is published in the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry, explains that the oral cavity is, quote, an enormously complex and unique habitat within the human body. I agree. Hundreds of microbiological species coexist, meaning bacteria within the human mouth simultaneously. True again. Because the teeth are not non-shedding surfaces, microorganisms are able to adhere to them for long periods of time, which can lead to the formation of biofilms and dental plaque. Forming a symbiotic relationship within the dental plaque, bacteria such as Staph, streptococci and lactobacilli are able to produce organic acids in high levels following fermentation of dietary sugars meaning more sugar you eat, more cavities you got, more bacteria you produce. These acids demineralize the surface of the teeth, leading eventually to periodontal disease or tooth loss. Antimicrobial agents can be prescribed to control plaque and reduce oral biofilms. But side effects, and I'm opposed to this, are, are terrible, because you kill off all the good bacteria. So now they came up with something novel. Researchers note that polyphenols, you get that from green tea and cranberries and phenolic extracts from wine and grapes, have recently been implicated in inhibiting the growth of the bad streptococcus. So using a biofilm model of a dental plaque that integrates five species of bacteria associated with oral disease, the researchers did their work and found that red wine inhibits biofilm production. That's a good thing. And these biofilm cultures were placed variously in red wine, alcohol-free red wine, and red wine with grapeseed extract or water. And uh, the researchers found that red wine, both with and without alcohol, um, in combined with grapeseed extract, were most effective in combating bacteria. Quote, our results show that red wine, at moderate concentration, inhibits the growth of some pathogenic species in an oral biofilm model. Good I'm glad to hear that. And finally, before I take a break and then we get some calls, lifestyle changes improve biomarkers associated with breast cancer reoccurrence and death from Yale University Cancer Center. A pair of Yale Cancer Center investigational studies involving breast cancer survivors found that lifestyle changes, healthy eating, regular exercise, can decrease the biomarkers related to breast cancer and death. And that was presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Quote, The findings of both studies support a growing body of research that suggests lifestyle interventions lower biomarkers associated with breast cancer recurrence and death. That's Dr. Melinda Irwin, program co-leader and uh, professor at Yale Cancer Center. So, Healthy vegan diet, exercise, and you can grow, go a long way towards helping you live a longer life. I'm Gary and all. We're going to take a little break and I'm going to start to take some calls. Our number eight 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 seven four four eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. 888 874 4888. 888 874 4888. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. <laughs> Special thank you to all the people who take their time each day to listen live or download the program. We really appreciate you being there and sharing the information. In fact, last week we just had a phenomenal number of people who downloaded and searched for Seeds of Death. It has gone massively viral all over the world. People in all the different countries that do do not want genetically modified organisms are using the material from the film and we're happy about that. And this week, we have to let our New York legislators know, no to GMOs. All right, so contact your legislator in New York State. I'm going to take calls in a moment, but let's first go over and say hello to holistic Nurse who gets your information and calls me and shares it with me. I'm out on the road now. She is Luann Panessi. Hi, Luann.
1: Hello, Gary. Boy, um, I've been getting a lot of emails. I have one here from Lee, and she says, "Uh, Dear Gary, I regularly listen to your informative and mindful radio show. I just wanted to say a warm hello and a long-lasting thank you for my stay last June at your homestead and for the opportunity to be in your company. Although very brief, I came away with very, very much. I hold on to your talks, your space, your cooking, and your gardens, because it made a world of difference in my life and those that I share your wisdoms with, recalling our visit, your many informative books and DVDs. You've made a lasting impression that has given rise to healing, growing, and giving life and birth to new and authentic practices and concepts. She says, I eat much better than I ever have, and I've lost 15 pounds. I also wish to thank you for your many public service opportunities that have helped so many. I truly hope to have the honor to visit you again one of these days. I often think of all of your commentaries that your show shares, and I pray you'll continue on with your unique Gary Null enthusiasm and genuine offerings of invaluable lessons, insights, and truths. I thought that was a very, very nice email.
0: That is nice. Yeah. That that, that was someone who came last year to the retreat we did for WPAI as a fundraiser. Yes. Uh, Share another one.
1: All right, this one talks about um, good news here. This is from John. He says, uh, a tent city in Lakewood, New Jersey, is being torn down in a few days. Apparently, housing has been obtained for the residents for one year. To me, this sounds like a good development. Do you think this policy should be continued for all tent cities?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, you would have to first go into a tent city, as I have. In that case, I was there three years ago, and then came back a month ago to film for a day there. And in both cases, what I found was that there was a high degree of people who had given up on life. A lot were alcoholics, a lot were drug addicts, a lot were very despondent, and they were In effect, when when the people said, all right, we'll give you so much money to leave, go someplace. And I said, if you all got together and you pulled your money, you'd have enough money to buy a piece of property and buy it in a state where you don't have the zoning, so you don't have to worry about someone saying, we don't want you here, and then create your own community. And I said, because there's where the we... Combining resources gives you greater strength and opportunity than if you just each went your own way. But that didn't, uh, th- there was complete, even though there were people there, it was the only time I heard them was get together to bitch and moan and complain. And this time around the same thing. And uh, so they were given a flat fee to move on. And I would look at that as an opportunity because when I went there this time, I was just appalled. It looked like a, a garbage dump where the the people had just let everything go. There was just no sense of caring for their environment. In fact, one of the men, when we set up the camera to film him, took 20 minutes just to clear the garbage in front of his front door. Um, So there's one thing when you find yourself, for whatever circumstances, um, in in a negative place. And it's another thing to keep a negative mindset in that same place. That's a double negative. So if I'm going to be poor, I'd rather be poor in a warm climate than a freezing climate. If I'm going to be poor, I'd rather be around people who are at least optimistic about doing something together than pessimistic and nihilistic. If I'm going to be poor, I'd rather make healthy choices than unhealthy choices. Because the unhealthy and the negative only compound the problem. And all I'm finding when I go around the country right now is a lot of negativity. I don't see the optimism. I don't see this sense of working together. Now, I do find people working together in a good way, but these are people who are choosing to, um, and I've met a lot of them. What I'm finding is interesting, way, is I'm finding people who are, have reached a clarion moment in their careers or lives, more often than not because there has been some sense of, of, um, some sense of awakening, Sometimes it's because people just one day they wake up and realize life isn't what they had hoped to be, and it's not going to be. So they want to change something. All right, you can't change the people around you. You can't even change the circumstances sometime around you. So what you can change is you can change yourself. And that's what I'm finding they're doing. I'm finding people who are saying, I'll give you an example. I just filmed a guy today. Um... This is a man who owned his own construction company for 30 years. And he realized one day that he was not living an authentic life. And I said, well, how'd you come to that? He said that a friend of his had given him a copy of Living in the Moment, Prescription for the Soul, as a a gift. And he read it. He read one chapter, and then it got his intrigue, and he read another chapter and another chapter. And then he just said... I couldn't stop because I realized almost everything I was doing was conditioned response. I was overly committed to making sure everyone else had what needed done, done. I rarely took care of my own needs. I never had quality time just to be me. I was always so committed to being the right person for everyone. And yet when I went through a little difficult time in my own life, uh, I found that people were not there, people who I'd made major sacrifices for. And then he said, he wrote down something he listened to on the radio one day. I asked this question, whose life have you mastered? And who are you authentically? And he realized that he had not mastered his own life. He had mastered skills, he had mastered a business, he had mastered being concerned about other people. But that also meant that he had become maladaptive. And he was desperate for personal challenge. But every time he thought about challenging, his insecurity said, you can't do anything. You've got to worry about your job, your, your, your finances, because you had all these people dependent upon you. And he said he realized that he has four kids. They're all in college. Not one of them has ever worked a day in their life. So he had to sign on all their loans, and they all wanted to go to Ivy League schools. And, and he just said, this is stupid. He said when he was 14 years old, he was already working. And no one appreciated his sacrifices. And he wakes up one day and realizes that he owed around, or would end up owing, around $600,000 for his kid's education. And he didn't have that. And now he was going through a rough time. And no one seemed to care. And when he suggested that maybe they change to a state school, maybe they should take something that they could actually get a job in. They all get angry with him. So he then began to realize that we are an obsessive society and we frequently destroy that which we value. And we're motivated by our fears and weaknesses. We obsess. And the obsessions that we have in our life daily allow us to pay no attention to the real issues. He said he didn't connect with anything outside of his own immediate life. He couldn't tell you where Iraq was. He didn't know what the hell was going on unless it had been on one of the news programs. He was disconnected from all that. But that's when he began to change. Now, he said, the hell with it all. I'm changing. My kids don't like it. Let them fend for themselves. Because he was going to go on with his life. He's 60 years of age. And the primary reason, he said that we create goals to begin a journey. And he realized how much was missing in his life that was essential to his happiness. And he had so distorted his perceptions by every crisis he was in that he no longer knew how to live a non-crisis-based life. He lurched from crisis to crisis. And uh, he could not change the belief systems that he was a part of So if he was going to change, he had to find new belief systems, and that's what he's doing now. Now, he is not alone. I'm finding people all across the country who are out there searching, they're looking, they're trying to master new ideas. And there are places in the United States, like Austin, Texas, far more progressive than New York City. New York City is is not regressive, uh, but it is not progressive either. It is mainly an outstanding place for certain careers and opportunity. But no one's ever moved to New York for their health because there is no health there. And so you have to go to where... You have to first get your mind prepared, what you want to do, how you're going to do it, and then see who's out there doing something similarly, network with people, communicate with people, share. And there are millions of Americans now who are beginning the next stage of their life. New tools, new awarenesses, very positive. So I'm very optimistic about what I see in a lot of people not younger people, but mainly in people over the age, let's say of 50, who for whatever reason, more often than not crisis, are starting over again. I mean, literally starting over again. It's both a humbling experience, it's frequently a scary experience, but it's a real experience. And then other people, they've just given up, they're just apathetic. And the largest group of people in the United States, they somehow think that someone or something is going to rescue them. I don't care what conversation you have with them, they just don't see themselves being responsible for anything in their life. And when I explain to these people, try to give them articles or documentaries, that, you know, I wouldn't put all my trust in these bureaucracies, these corporations, these personalities, because they don't have They're not looking out for you. They're looking out for themselves, no matter what they say. So that's how it breaks down. The future, I see about 5 to 8% of the American population transforming, having a better quality of life. And that may seem like a very small amount, but it's not. 8% is almost 25 million people. That's a lot of people. That's, you know, that's more than live in New York State. So you have. You have the capacity to have good things happen. So that's that's the other side of that. Luann?
1: Yes. Um, I I just got this in, by the way. Um, Someone just sent me. This is also very, very good news. Uh, The uh, the state of New Jersey, uh, actually a hospital, fired a nurse for simple misconduct connected to her work because she refused to take the flu vaccine and the nurse appealed and the judges came to the conclusion that the employer didn't prove that the person committed misconduct by refusing to submit to the flu vaccination policy for purely secular reasons. So it said, the board's decision upholding the, uh, the, the nurse's termination unconstitutionally discriminated against her freedom of expression by improperly endorsing the employer's religion-based exemption to the flu vaccination policy and rejecting the secular choice proffered by the nurse. So this was a long, drawn-out thing, but the good news is the nurse won on the appeal. So even though she left the hospital she's gonna be getting unemployment benefits which she wasn't gonna get before. But this is a tiny little step and you know, this is all they're using the religious exemption, but isn't it a sad state of affairs that people can't choose to not have a vaccine?
0: Yes it is, but keep in mind people can't choose to have fluoridated water. It's a medicine. And the science does not support fluoridation. We've written a definitive article called The Fluoride Fiasco that people can go to on blog.garyandall.com and read with dozens of other articles every single day, new articles. When you take a look at vaccines, you have to ask a simple question. Is there good quality science, independent science, showing that they're both safe and effective for any given individual as a single or multiple vaccinations. And the answer is no, they have no science on their side, no good science at all. And we've gone through every article, over 2,500 articles they have, and we've been able to destroy every single one. But now there is a backlash. There's an enormous amount of science coming forward showing that, that vaccines don't work, and they're dangerous. And because they were able to use the political machine with enormous amount of lobbying dollars, to buy the access to the legislators and get their, get exempted from any liability. You see, if your child were to take a chemotherapy agent or, or a statin drug or psychiatric medication and something bad happened, you could sue the company. But if you are injured with a vaccine, you can't. You have to go through a special vaccine court, which is a torturous process. And it's made up by a vaccine uh, court master. In point of fact, um, there have been 81 separate awards given for brain-damaged vaccine-related cases. And so when people say there is no association between the vaccine and autism, clearly they have not done their homework. There is lots of it. We have it all. On the other hand, almost every day we're reporting on another disastrous aspect of vaccines. But then they start to attack you. They set up special websites that anyone who says anything wrong about a vaccine, they immediately launch all these uh, cyber attacks where they can have thousands of responses from one person working in their basement against a person. Let's say a mother finds that their daughter was completely healthy, got the Gardasil vaccine, and then went autistic or ended up dead. They'll attack the person. So that's how fearful they are. They're afraid that we, will, we the people, will demand our legislators take away the uh, identification to hold them responsible. And that's what we should be doing. There should be a massive national movement to do just that. And if we are able to do that, then then you wouldn't see a single vaccine because they know that they're all bad and none of them are scientific. So thank you, Luann, for calling in and sharing okay. that. I'm Gary Knoll, uh, and I will, my engineer has had some difficulty on his end, um, but in a moment, I believe that will be corrected, and he'll be able to take your calls. 888 874 Now let's go to some commentaries. This is from William J. Astor from TomDispatch.com. It's entitled, Uncle Sam doesn't want you. He already has you. The Militarized Realities of Fortress America. Quote, I spent four college years in the Reserve Officers Training Corps, ROTC, and then served 20 years in the U.S. Air Force. In the military, especially in basic training, you have no privacy. The government owns you. You're government issue. Just another GI, a number on a dog tag that has your body or your blood type and religious background in case you need a transfusion or last rites. You get used to it. That sacrifice of individual privacy and personal autonomy is the price you pay for joining the military. But this country has changed a lot since I joined ROTC in 1981, was fingerprinted, typed for blood, and otherwise poked and prodded. Nowadays, in Fortress America, every one of us is, in some sense, a government issue in a surveillance state gone mad. Unlike the recruiting poster of old, Uncle Sam doesn't want you anymore. He already has you. You've been drafted into the American national security state. That much is evident from Edward Snowden's revelations. Your email, it can be read. Your phone calls, metadata about them is being gathered. Your smartphone is a perfect tracking device if the government needs to find you. Your computer, hackable and trackable. Your server It's at their service, not yours. Many of the college students I've taught recently take such a loss of privacy for granted. They have no idea what's gone, missing from their lives, and so don't value what they've lost, or, if they fret at all, console themselves with magical thinking, incantations like, I've done nothing wrong, so I've got nothing to hide. They have little sense of how capricious governments can be about the definition of wrong. Consider us all recruits, more or less, in the new version of Fortress America. For an ever more militarized, securitized country, renting a movie, why not opt for the first Captain America and watch him vanquish the Nazis yet again, a reminder of the last war we truly won. Did you head for a baseball park on Memorial Day? What could be more American or innocent? So I hope you paid no attention to all those camouflage caps and uniforms your favorite players were wearing, and just another of an endless stream of tributes to our troops and veterans. Let's hear no whining about militarized uniforms on America's playing fields. After all, don't you know that America's real pastime these last years have been war, and lots of it. But be a good trooper think of the irony. The Vietnam War generated an unruly citizens' army that reflected an unruly and increasingly rebellious citizenry. That proved more than the U.S. military and our ruling elites could take. So President Nixon ended the draft in 1973 and made American citizen soldiers ideal, an ideal that had persisted for two centuries, a thing of the past. The all-voluntary military, the professionals were recruited otherwise enticed to do the job for us. No muss, no fuss. It's been that way ever since. Plenty of war, but no need to be a warrior, unless you sign on the dotted line. It's the new American way. But it turned out that there was a fair amount of fine print in the agreement that freed Americans from those involuntary military obligations. Part of the bargain was to support the pros, or rather our troops, unstintingly, and the rest involved being pacified. Keeping your peace, being a happy warrior in the new national state of security, particularly in the wake of 9-11, grew to enormous proportions on the taxpayer's dollar. Whether you like it or not, you've been drafted into that role, so join the line of recruits and take your proper place in the garrison state. If you're bold, gaze out across the increasingly fortified and monitored borders we share with Canada and Mexico. Watch for those drones, home from the wars and already hovering in increasingly local skies, ostensibly to fight crime. Pay due respect to your increasingly up-armored police forces with their automatic weapons, their special SWAT teams, and their converted mine-resistant ambush-protecting vehicles. These vintage Iraqi freedom vehicles are now military surplus given away or sold on the cheap to local police departments. Be careful to observe their draconian orders for prison-like lockdowns of your neighborhood or city, essentially temporarily declaring martial law. Be a good trooper and do what you're told. Stay out of public areas when you're ordered to do so. Learn to salute smartly. No. Do it the right way. Render a proper one to those in authority. You best learn how. Or perhaps you don't even have to, since so much that we now do automatically isn't structured to render that salute for us. Repeated singings of God Bless America, at sporting events. Repeated viewings of movies that glorify the military. Special operations forces are the hot topic in the American multiplexes, like Act of Valor, even the Lone Survivor. Why not answer the Call of Duty by playing militarized video games like Call of Duty? Indeed, when you do think of war, be sure to treat it as a sport, a movie, a game. I've been in the military for nearly a decade, and yet I feel more militarized today than when I wore a uniform. That feeling first came to me in 2007, when what was called the Iraqi surge, the sending of another 30,000 U.S. troops into the quagmire that has been our occupation of that country. It prompted my first article for Tom Dispatch, Paul, by the way, our civilian commander-in-chief, George W. Bush, hid behind the the, the the idea of appointing a surge commander, Dr. David Petraeus, to justify his administration's devolving war of choice in Iraq. It seemed like the eerie visual equivalent of turning traditional American military-civilian relationships upside down. Of a president who had done gone over to the military, and it worked a cowed Congress meekly submitted to King David Petraeus and rushed to cheer his testimony in support of further American escalations of Iraq. Since then, it's become a satirical necessity for our Presidents to don military flight jackets whenever they address our warfighters as a sign of both their support and of the militarization of the Imperial Presidency. It is now ...considered necessary for presidents to praise American troops as, the quote, the finest military in world history. Whereas President Obama typically uh, said to NBC's Brian Williams in an interview from Normandy a couple weeks ago, quote, the greatest military in the world. Even more hyperbolization, these same troops are celebrated across the country in the most vocal way possible. As hardened warriors and benevolent freedom bringers simultaneously the goodest and the baddest of anyone on the planet, and all without including any of the ugly, as in the ugliness of war and killing. Perhaps that explains why I've seen military recruitment vans at the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Given that military service is so bene- benevolent, why not get the country's 12-year-old prospects hopped up on the prospect of joining the ranks? Too few Americans see any problems in any of this, which shouldn't surprise us. After all, they're already recruits themselves, and if the prospect of all this doesn't appall you, you can't even burn your draft card in protest, so better salute smartly and obey. A good conduct medal will undoubtedly be coming your way soon. It wasn't always so. I remember walking the streets of Worcester, Massachusetts, in my freshly pressed ROTC uniform 1981. It was six years after the Vietnam War ended and defeat and anti-war movies like Coming Home, The Deer Hunter, Apocalypse Now were still fresh in the people's minds. First Blood and the Rambo Stab in the Back myth wouldn't come along for another year. I was aware of people looking at me with hostility, with a certain indifference mixed occasionally. Today, service members, when appearing in uniform, are universally applauded and lauded as heroes. I'm not saying we should treat our troops with disdain, no, but as our history has shown us, genuflecting before them is not a healthy sign of respect. Consider it a sign as well that we really all are government issue now. In conclusion, if you think that that's an exaggeration, consider an old military officer's manual I still have in my possession. It's vintage 1950, approved by American General George Marshall, the man most responsible for our country's victory in World War II. He began with this reminder to the newly commissioned officer, quote, On becoming an officer, man does not renounce any part of his fundamental character as an American citizen. He is simply signed on for the postgraduate course where he won uh, where one learns how to exercise authority in accordance with the spirit of liberty. It may not be as easy to Thing to do, but it's the manual's aim was to highlight the the tension between military authority and personal liberty that was the essence of the old citizen army. It also reminded new officers that they were trustees of America's liberty. Quoting an unnamed admiral's words on the subject, quote, the American philosophy places the individual above the state. It distrusts personal power and coercion. It denies the existence of indispensable men. It asserts the supremacy of principle. Those words were a sound antidote to government-issued authoritarianism and militarism, and they still are. Together, we all need to do our bit, not as G.I. Joes and Janes, but as Citizen Joes and Janes, to put personal liberty and constitutional principles first, in the spirit of what it meant to be them. End quote. And that's our quote commentary of the day. We're running out of time, and sorry that we had some technical difficulties and could not take your calls. One last comment here, and this is from our environmental segment from Food Freedom Group. Quote, Illinois illegally seizes bees resistant to Roundup, and they kill all the remaining queens. The Illinois Ag Department illegally seized privately owned bees from a renowned naturalist, Terrence Ingram, without providing him with a search warrant and before the court hearing on the matter. Behind the obvious violations of his constitutional rights is Monsanto. Ingram was researching Roundup and its effect on bees, which he's raised for 58 years. Quote, they ruined 15 years of my research, he said. During a routine inspection of the honeybees, they took all these bees and they destroyed them before they even had a chance to discuss it in court. You're going to see more and more of this everywhere. This is what happens when you have creeping fascism, where the government, which is controlled more and more by corporate policymakers, says that if you're speaking out or doing anything that can embarrass or adversely affect the profits of corporate America, then you'll be dealt with. I'm Gary Nall. Thank you all for listening. I look forward to sharing more on our next program. Have a nice day, everyone.